Nia Jax uh, now powering for you. out of this armbar, and she could do this to you. Do you money think, the bank. Do you think you can put this on Nia Jax? Oh! You've never been in the ring with somebody the size of Nia Jax. Oh, this. This is the intimidating look I've heard so much about. Wow. That's pretty good. But you see, I'm not so intimidated by it. In fact, I find it quite humorous. <laughs> you cute. You cute. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. It's time for rewind a raw with John Pollock. And waiting with you on this lovely Monday night. Way, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? It's only been a couple of days, but it just feels like uh, it's been so long since I've sat down and, and done a show with you. But it's just like every other mm. week. I don't know what it is. I have a feels like a big gap from last Tuesday to tonight. Well, it wasn't because, uh, you know, we released the show uh, on Friday. That's true. Right? We did that one as well. So. Uh, I've spoken to you even sooner than I did in my head. Yes, and on top of that, uh, I saw you yesterday for the uh, Toronto screening of the Bipolar Rock and Roller. <laughs> and I even saw you today, too. We had lunch together, so I don't know what yes. I'm talking about. But I have no idea what you're saying. We even recorded a show earlier today. Uh, that's true. That's true. So anyway, on that note, uh, we have a lot to discuss today. Yes. There's a lot going on in the world. Um, before we start, though, um, well, this is going to tie in uh, because on Sunday night, uh, you and I went to the uh, Toronto screening of Bipolar Rock and Roller, the documentary on Mauro Ranallo, which I would imagine a lot of people saw on Friday or sometime over the weekend. It aired on Showtime. It aired on TMN in Canada, and I'm certain it's going to be replayed pretty heavily, but it I was heard, pretty cool. I, I hear that it's also on Crave TV. Okay, so multiple options uh, to see this documentary. Uh, it was kind of cool to watch it, though, in a movie theater, and especially the Regent Theater in Toronto, which I've never been to, which is this very old-style theater with one screen. Uh, it was very cool. Yeah, I've been there before. Yeah. What did you see there? Oh, some independent, some something like my friend's friend released, like one of those things. I guess not too dissimilar to this, except this one was a, a lot more high profile. So I guess uh, we, we should mention that on Sunday, it's the return of the post round table. And you and I are going to be sitting down with not just Moro, but also the director of this film, a good friend of ours, uh, Harris Yusanovich, who has been working on this documentary for, I would say, close to like nine or 10 years. It's been a long, long process that he has been working on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um... I don't know exactly know how long, uh, but I just know that, you know, three years ago, John and I watched the first cut of this uh, before Showtime got involved. So he had already been spending, you know, several years uh, developing that. So it just kind of tells you maybe exactly how long the entire process was. But I mean, because it was like three years since we've seen that cut and because this version was probably quite different 
from uh, the other one. I mean, I had pretty much forgotten everything about it, so it, it was basically brand new to me. Yeah, so I guess what we're, um, you know, obviously it's a really well put together documentary. Uh, the production I thought was incredible. Uh, it's obviously a very, very powerful story as opposed to a lot of pro wrestling inspired documentaries uh, we see. This one certainly had a much, much larger weight to it. And I think the fact you and I know Moro so well, uh, probably uh, you and I were more kind of invested in this as well, seeing this this guy and just really exposing himself in this documentary that I don't know how many people in that same situation would be as willing to do. He's extremely open about his issues, but it's quite another when you're seeing it on camera, this man at his lowest. Completely. I mean, I I can't imagine how, how you know, what it's like for him to see it. Because I think, like, even uh, Moro said he didn't want to watch it until the show, the whole thing was done. So, like, back in 2015, we watched it and he hadn't seen it. But I was blown away even by that version of the, of the, of the, of the documentary. So... I, I can't imagine like sitting in front of an audience and watching and having the whole world see it too. Um, I think for me, because I had seen uh, so many of those scenes before, like uh, the, really, the, I guess the more, some of the more shocking ones uh, that didn't come as, as big of a shock to me this time. But I, I'll tell you like the first time watching it, like despite, you know, I, I, being a friend of the man, being working with him uh, so closely for so many years, there's still, uh, there's still a lot that, that, shocked me because i hadn't seen him have episodes like that and mm -hmm. uh like you know i knew he had bipolar disorder but even somebody like me didn't really know what that entailed um so you know whenever you see moral or at least like when we would see him from time to time like it's he it, it really kind of i saw more of the i guess the the manic side of things and um i i, I guess like in some ways you know he hid the depressing side pretty well uh but but the documentary just kind of shows everything and um yeah like it's it, it, it was very heavy I, th I think for that reason yeah i guess you know for some people that maybe are, are newer listeners of ours as well uh we worked with moro at the fight network and i i worked as moro's radio producer for close to two years in total probably just over two years uh so that was producing a, a daily radio show with moro so uh each day, uh, you know, the two of us had a, a very, very good relationship together, but it was also, you know, seeing this up close. I mean, he was he was never very shy about any of this. And it got to the point where I could come in in the morning and he didn't even have to say a word to me. I knew exactly what his mood was and what kind of a day it was going to be. And you could see the fluctuations that he would go through. And I, I think that it's in on one hand. I think people watching this, you you really it conveys that struggle to anyone that doesn't understand this. It's one thing to read about depression; it's quite another to see it, uh, mm -hmm. to to see it actually happening in front of you. That 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 is what video is able to to be able to communicate with people. Uh, so I 100%. think it's like moral. I will never state that it was. Um, it was perfect working with this guy. It was extremely difficult at times. I mean, it was, that was moral. And I don't mm -hmm. think he would, uh, he would shy away from that either. He is not um, the easiest person to work with. He is, he is up, he is down and, and he can be, you know, he could 
have crazy mood swings. And you, I, I don't know what it was, but I was able to find a way to just uh, work with him. And I didn't experience really any of those, um, I guess, kind of uh, the, the negative side. Like he was someone that I, I think genuinely got along working with me, um, which wasn't the case with everybody that we worked with. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, like Moro's the type that, you know, if, if, if I think, and, and people will hear it in, in our roundtable discussion, uh, like I think if, if he likes working with you, then you're in. But if you're out, then, you know, uh, you're not. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, anyway, like it, it's, uh, I, you're absolutely right that I think like video really is, is an incredible way of telling, showing somebody exactly what happens when somebody goes through an episode like that. And I really think the key to this entire thing is Moro's relationship with Harris, who, yes. you know, uh, kind of came up with us uh, when the Fight Network started. Uh, he was also an editor, camera operator. So uh, I knew him. Pre- we both knew him pretty well. And uh, the guy ended up befriending Moro and, you know, became his best friend while he, you know, uh, during the time that he was in Toronto and to this day. Uh, but it was because he had such a close relationship with him. And it was because of Harris wanting to film his friend just, you know, either like, uh, like, cause it, it, it's quite the amazing, I think, scene. Like when Moro is just, when, when you're just hanging out with him, he's just like, he is the most fun person to be around. Um, but I, I mean, I, I think Harris probably even saw a side of him that we didn't get to see because, uh, when he's not, when, when the fun's over it's a completely different story. And so Harris uh, was able to capture everything. So he really uh, was the key to, I think, this entire thing, because I don't know if Morrow would have felt comfortable doing it with anybody else. Yeah, I, I mean, Harris has been at this for so many years before Showtime was even in the picture to uh, to be involved uh, on their end. I mean, there was, like, in this whole time, I mean, uh, Morrow moved from Toronto to L.A., kept up with this documentary and when you and I saw it I think both of us were really blown away by it and and that was three years ago so seeing it like you went back actually and, and rewatched uh the first one mm-hmm. so you have probably a better uh sense of the the changes because it's been so long since I saw the the first version but it, it is a very different documentary one from the other just because so much has happened in three years Certainly, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll say like I, going back and watching it, I thought the the first cut was already really good. Uh, I did too. You know, probably like eighty five, ninety percent of the way there. I think Showtime coming in was you know helping polish it a little bit, you know, uh, and and of course updating uh, everybody on Moro's life and everything that has happened over the past three years, which has been huge. I mean, like the that version of the documentary that we watched. Um, kind of culminated with him uh calling uh Mayweather Pacquiao and then uh there was like a little note in there about how wow it's great that my life has come full circle and I'm calling wrestling again calling New Japan Pro Wrestling on access and I mean at least as far as wrestling goes he has done way more uh since then so the the updated version kind of touches on all those things um but even the initial cut was really good too um, a- any other things you want to, to mention about the documentary? We're obviously going to be chatting about it pretty in depth, uh, with both Harris and Morrow on Sunday. Yeah, no, no, not, not that much more. I mean, I think, uh, I, I mean, I just think it's, it's quite amazing that, uh, this person that we know, uh, 
has like had such a career that has spanned so many different facets of combat sports. I mean, like I, t- I was, we were talking earlier, John, like this is a documentary that features, you know, people like Frank Chamrock, Boss Rutten, to an Al Bernstein, to a Triple H and a Michael Cole. Like it, 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 in some ways it's really great timing that, you know, this documentary came out now after Morrow has already achieved so much in all three fields because his reach is just that much bigger. And I think, I mean, sending a message like this right now, visually, uh, is, is a very powerful thing and will affect a lot of people. Yeah, I think that this is going to really transcend anything he's done in broadcasting. I think this is what is going to um, kind of alert people. And he like I think this documentary is going to have a lot of uh, provide a lot of help for people, uh, first and foremost, mm-hmm. and, and an eye opener to so many um, that I mean, it's. I I wouldn't I would imagine a lot of people listening to this know of people that suffer from mental health problems, but it's it's the visual of this and seeing a person actually going through it in front of you um, that's really really powerful. I think that's one of the many takeaways from the documentary. Yeah, I also urge everybody uh, if you've seen the documentary to uh, go back to uh, our Twitter feed uh, at Post Wrestling and just. Um, Watch the uh, the the speech Morrow gave after the documentary. Um, we uploaded this uh, yesterday. You might get it on another source too, but uh, whatever, wherever. But Morrow just like gives this very powerful speech at the end of it, um, basically kind of urging everybody to, you know, um, yeah, reach out and just kind of, uh, you know, start caring a bit more about your fellow man. Uh, just a few uh, news things here before we go into raw. Uh, Enzo has released a new rap video. He releases to World Star Hip Hop. It's entitled Phoenix, uh, which is the site that the uh, well, that's that's where the the alleged incident uh, occurred, and that the Phoenix Police Department had recently said they will not be pursuing uh, any kind of investigation due to a lack of evidence. Uh, have you watched this video yet, Way? I have. First of all, what do you, what did you think of just the actual um, performance here? Is is Enzo does he have a, a next act in his career that is going to be in the world of rap? Well, let me just say, I think uh, if people really want an in depth analysis, I would urge you all to listen to Up Next this week because I'm sure Braden uh, will will break it down far better than I. Um, but uh, for me, I mean, I think his style kind of takes some getting used to because he's got such a distinct kind of gravelly voice um but i mean oh it's this is what this one is a bit of a tough one to talk about because okay for, how about uh, this one was okay let me just explain why it's tough to talk. was this smart was this a smart idea well again like it's tough to talk about because number one we don't have a conclusion to these allegations like a lack of he, evidence is not a conclusion. No. It just means a lack of evidence. But so, in in this video, I mean, if you are to uh, uh, take these these lyrics um, literally, it sounds like this guy is not ending this and fully intends to uh, engage in a civil lawsuit uh, yeah. a, a, against him. Which, listen, if if this guy is completely innocent, um, his reputation has been completely damaged, and he's lost mm-hmm. a job and. Yes. He has every right to go out and clear his name, which may be the the only way that he can uh, pursue this. Because as you've just stated, like this is 
this was not a black and white conclusion to this story. It was shades of gray. And this, I mean, I would say that I am not a lawyer, but if he is looking at a civil suit, I don't know if putting this video out, calling her a lying ass hoe would be the best idea. Right. Yeah. Um, Rap is interesting, I guess, because like, I feel like, like, I feel like in rap, I've seen this type of reaction to like legal matters and very serious, maybe not even at this level, though, like if somebody has a rape allegation against them, I mean, I don't know if like I've, I've necessarily heard uh, like diss tracks directed at, at accusers, like, I guess a week after a case has been dismissed. I think even that is a little extreme. Rhyming uh, gender gender persecution hurts the Me Too movement and the women's revolution. I'll just say, like, I think the song and the video, if you're already a supporter of his, I think it'll make you a bigger supporter of his. Um, and if you're not, I don't think this will do anything to change your opinion uh, whatsoever. I, I, if it, I mean, basically, it just basically further kind of amplifies however you already feel about the man. Yeah, and I, I don't take it really as any um, surprise, but it really does seem that he has no interest in wrestling either. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really have to question how much passion he had to begin with. You know, he we know he's not a great wrestler. He was very talented on the mic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, he can continue doing that. How, and if it's rap that he chooses to, to do it in, then, you know, then so be it. Uh, so that video, uh, you can, I'm sure, find it. Uh, it is it is online. World star, world star. Go to world star. Uh, Michael Bisping has announced his retirement way. This is a really prominent name in mixed martial arts. And he put, on his podcast today, he stated everyone knows about his right eye and the problems uh, that he has had with that right eye. Uh, but then he stated uh, for the first time that after his last fight against Kelvin Gastelum, which was three weeks after the George St. Pierre loss, after the fight, he started having problems with his left eye, which is the good eye. And he said the combination of that and not feeling he needs to uh, prove anything any longer. He is uh, opting to retire. This guy fought 29 times in the UFC, uh, won the middleweight championship, one of the great upsets, I think, in UFC history when he beat Luke Rockhold two years ago. Uh, but this is a, a, a really big name, I think, in, in mixed martial arts, somebody that has been around in the UFC since uh, 2006, had some enormous fights, uh, but I think it's going to be probably that Luke Rockhold win that is going to be the moment most people are going to remember Michael Bisping for, although there are quite a lot that he has had. His rivalries with Dan Henderson, uh, with Vitor Belfort, Chael Sonnen, uh, he's been in a lot of big fights. Quite the amazing career the man has had. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, just from from winning the Ultimate Fighter onwards, I feel like... um, I think enormous overachiever, I would say. Yeah, I would say really hard. Well, I would say like he was kind of destined for like mid Carter status. Mm -hmm. Um, But until that that Luke Rockhold win that I don't think anybody saw coming. uh, He and he maximized the value of that upset win um, and, and got how long of a reign out of it. Yeah, he kept it for he defended the title once that later that year. Dan Henderson. That was October, yeah, against Dan Henderson. So he avenges that loss. 
a guy who really should not have been fighting for the title at that stage of his career. So that's hey, a t- but we but we all watched that fight and it was a great story, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, and that was the argument for it. Um but nonetheless, he defends the title in October 2016 and then he doesn't fight again till November of the next year and that was the George St. Pierre fight. Mhm. So and, I mean, shit, like he knew he got lucky winning this thing and he kept that thing for as long as he could, you know? <laughs> Uh, and, and I think like a lot of MMA fans were entertained, uh, very entertained as a result of it. So he has nothing like at this point, I'm, I'm in full agreement. Why jeopardize your health for, for another fight? What, what is there to gain? So I, I think he should have retired even after the GSP fight. Then I, I think everyone, even hindsight and foresight, uh, did not understand the Calvin Gastelum fight other than I think he just took that fight on pure emotion after this loss to St. Pierre and it was a very brutal knockout in the first round. And unfortunately, that's going to be the final memory of him inside uh, of an octagon. But sometimes with fighters, you something so definitive as a loss like that kind of seals the deal of, okay, I need to move on from this. Rather than going out on some split decision where you're constantly going back and forth and telling yourself, I could still do this at a competitive level for a lot of money. I think that um, his his... The damage he has done to his eyes, I think if that kind of necessitates you to move on, he he made good money the last number of years on top Mm -hmm. of the Fox deal, winning that championship, getting points on a major pay-per-view like 217 with George St. Pierre. Um, He did very well his his last couple of years, and it was a tremendous story. This guy lost three fights that would have earned him a title fight, and it was always looked upon that this guy's going to have the most fights in the UFC, but someone that's never fought for the title, and then... 17 days he's filming a movie here in toronto and gets the call for that rockhold fight i mean that is that's one of the most unbelievable stories in mixed martial arts history of how he uh beat luke rockhold who handled michael bisping in their first fight and then he like i don't know anyone that picked michael bisping in that fight yeah and i think a man that like especially you know even early on in his career but especially by the end of it when he became champion really understood how to sell a fight because oh, that George feud was all him, man. Like oh, and he was, understood that, and he yeah. always did it for the betterment of the card. That people want to be engaged in something in a rivalry, and he knew his role inside and out. Um, and he I was have so good at it. I just have two quick stories about Michael Bisping. He was right. probably one of, if not one of, my favorite people to interview. The first one was prior to he's coming off that Luke Rockhold loss. And this is 2015, and we're in Montreal for UFC 186, and he's getting ready to fight C.B. Dalloway. And everyone's kind of written off Michael Bisping at this point. He had just lost two of his last three fights and looked like he was just never going to sniff a title fight. And I'm interviewing him, and I ask him kind of what, what his pathway is here to in the middleweight division. And he goes, and he outlines the scenario. And I'm not going to say it was verbatim what happened, But he explained how at that time, Chris Weidman was the champion and he was explaining how Weidman was going to lose the title. He was going to get through CB Dalloway, probably have two more fights, which is what he had. And somehow he was going to get a chance at the title and then he would win the title. And it was like he pretty much mapped out what happened and it was just shocking. And the other one was a time that we were interviewing him at the Fight Network and we were on the desk, which I hated doing interviews on that goddamn desk. And it's me. Ramdeen and Robin and Bisping is there uh, joining us on satellite 
and we do this interview and it's fine. It's like, it's good. And at the end, Bisping is like, guys, I, I don't know what's going on. I couldn't hear any of your questions, but I, I could, it was one of those things where it was like, he could hear one word and then it would cut out. And he took like the one or two words he heard and just bullshitted his answer. And he did this for 10 minutes. And I was just in awe and also apologizing for our terrible setup that we had that particular day. But it was just amazing. He did a 10-minute interview, and it sounds seamless if you listen to it. And he couldn't hear any of the questions. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, well, it suggests that hopefully, you know, if he wants to, he could still have quite the career outside of the the, uh, the octagon. Maybe maybe at ESPN now, now that they're leaving Fox. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, all those people work for the UFC, and I would imagine he's going to have a job as long as he wants as an analyst. Yeah. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, anything else uh, before we get into Raw? Did Total you- Bella's review will be coming up uh, after John and I finish Rewind to Raw, uh, but it will be on the Patreon. So uh, if you guys are curious about that, do uh, sign up and check out our, our- review. Yes, uh, you can check that out. And once again, uh, coming up this week, we've got Sunday, the post-roundtable with Moro Ronaldo and Harris Usanovich. Friday, it is our monthly Ask Away show for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Sign up now. You will get that show on Friday, as well as access instantly to all of our archive of bonus shows, including our review of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, the first show I can recall that my wife asked uh, to listen to. Oh, that's wonderful. That you and I have done. Uh, well, what she, did she think? Uh, you know what? She was uh, she was uh, in the kitchen tonight, and she had her headphones on, and she started laughing. And I was like, what are you laughing at? And she's like, I'm listening to you. I was like, wow, this is very weird. <laughs> it's very weird. My wife has her headphones on listening to you and I talking about Captain America. I'm sure she was laughing at something I said wow. uh, yeah. in stupidity, not in brilliance. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's that. Um, just trying to think if there's any other uh, things we should be talking about for uh, before we dive into Raw. Uh, oh, I, I have a few things uh, now yes. that i am uh, uh, got my head going here. So uh, later this week, a lot of stuff going on. We're going to have a Q&A up on the site this week with Sebastian Swab of Smash Wrestling. And we're also going to be giving away two pairs of tickets uh, to the Smash Wrestling show. Uh, we're going to give them away Tuesday night on Rewind to SmackDown. So tune in Tuesday night. Uh, and you could win tickets to uh, their upcoming Northern tournament that is going down this Sunday. Very loaded tournament that they are bringing in a lot of people for. Uh, so that's going down Sunday in Toronto at the Phoenix Concert Theater if you tune in Tuesday night. Very exciting. And uh, on the on the note of giveaways, we are doing our monthly t-shirt giveaways for all of our Patreon members. So if you haven't done so yet, please go to patreon.com slash pledges and update your shipping address to enter our monthly draws. And final note is uh, Davey Portman of Up Next. He is going to have an interview later this week with Amir Jordan, who is part of the upcoming WWE UK tournament. So you can uh, keep your keep your ears open for that uh, this week. All at postwrestling.com and postwrestlingcafe.com. Yeah, also we have uh, uh, British Wrestling Experience coming up this week. Yes, that is everything. Yeah. Raw, Monday night, Memorial Day from Richmond, Virginia. It started off with this terrific video, I thought, with all these reflections of um, soldiers uh, reflecting on others that have died in battle in Iraq. I just thought this was a really well put together video uh, to start off. Uh, it was? Memorial Day. Okay, it was. I don't want to open up a huge can of worms. Okay. But, okay, we complain about propaganda when it came to that Saudi Arabia show. Mm-hmm. 
how how does this I know there's a big difference absolutely in the in the countries that we're talking about, but is this not another form of propaganda that we're seeing? I I mean it's Memorial Day. I would never compare um listen, <laughs> you've opened up the can of worms. I know. Sorry. I don't think it's an honest comparison to look at some of the things that happen in a a country like Saudi Arabia and compare it to the US. That is not to say uh the US does not have a difficult foreign policy that you could heavily heavily disagree with. Um I also see a very big difference between the policies of of a government like the US and the actual soldiers that are out there fighting. And I think that to bestow the politics upon all of these soldiers is not necessarily fair to those soldiers, especially ones that have died in combat. And yeah, I, I do see a big difference. Okay, cool. I just wanted to, but ask. you're not, but you, you're not wrong. Like there are like in a, in an American produced show. Um, and there has been no shortage of it in the WWE's history of pro us, uh, propaganda on their own shows. And in, in the case of the Greatest Royal Rumble, I think the biggest issue people had was that it was not the WWE just going to another country and producing a show. It was they were being paid by the government to put on that show with that um, very heavy messaging that was inserted into the show. And it was it was a direct transaction with the government of Saudi Arabia. And I think that was it's not as though um, if the U.S. declared uh if they announced uh, tomorrow that they are they are going to war with okay. North Korea, that we are going to spend money for uh, pro-war messaging on various programming. Wait, wait are, is the is the army or something not a sponsor? They have been in the past um, for for recruitment. Yes, um, I mean, I don't know. I just like I I'm only asking questions because I'm I'm curious. I want to. I want to form my own opinions about these things. And I, I just, I see so many different things that this company is doing. Some, I think the public is totally cool with, but some we, we let slip. And I just want to have a better underst understanding why and get the conversation going. I, I don't want to spend the whole show on, on this. No, obviously. no, no, no. That's, that's fine. But, I think, I think this is just a normal conversation to have. Um, I just, I watch this and listen, I, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people had massive disagreements about the Iraq war, um, both in 2003 and presently with the benefit of, of hindsight. I think many people uh, to a man or woman would disagree with that decision to go to Iraq. However, I can divorce the politics from a Memorial Day video that is acknowledging that innocent lives were lost. Soldiers that were uh, fighting on behalf of their country, um, I, I, they were... There were a lot of victims in absolutely in Iraq. Um, yes. So yes. I have zero problem um, paying tribute to soldiers um, that law that died in a war um, that many people would feel they shouldn't have had to have been in. Right. Yes. Absolutely. I I completely agree there. Braun Strowman then uh, wanted to weigh in on all of this. Uh, he came out, uh, giant, get these hands chant, and. He states that he is motivated by the briefcase and he's going to destroy the seven other men at Money in the Bank. And then he's going to cash it in for a shot at Brock Lesnar. 
So this was a pretty clear path outlined by Braun Strowman, which I think everyone expected, but uh, it looks like if they go with Braun, it would be uh, not the traditional surprise cash-in, but rather a announcement ahead of time for a pay-per-view, which is definitely a possibility coming out of this match. Yeah. It would make no sense for uh, the giant, who the unbeatable giant, to do any type of surprise cash-in. Like, he needs no handicap, uh, for, or his opponent needs no handicap whatsoever. Finn Balor came out, and he, he says that he's going to climb the ladder and take back what is mine. And said he gave everything last week, but at Money in the Bank, there will be six others in the ring with the two of them. Braun notes that he put up a great fight for a little guy, and then giggles. When Finn slaps him, tosses Balor in the air with this beal, spinning him. And then Kurt comes out and notes the intensity being shown here. One of his favorite eyes. And he explains that the winner gets a shot at the brand's champion and suggests that they have a rematch tonight, which I was waiting for Finn to point out, uh, maybe one of Kurt's lesser favorite eyes, injured. I was just throwing and I am hurt. And a referee is sent out and Braun Strowman and Finn Balor have a rematch. Uh, this was highlighted by Kevin Owens coming out for commentary. Yeah, yeah, it's somewhere in between all this, yes. I, I mean, you know, I, Finn standing up to the giant, I think, makes Finn look good, you know, so that characterization, I think, was pretty positive for him. So Braun uh, then does the exact same spinning beal we just saw. Bobby Roode is watching backstage, which Owens notes, that's what he does best, watch TV. And he's got no idea which SmackDown performers are in the match. He doesn't watch. Maybe he maybe he doesn't have uh, cable. He'll have to wait till it's on uh, over-the-air broadcast in 2019. Uh, when we come back from break, Michael Cole is reminiscing about Braun and Finn's match from last week, which he has now upgraded to a classic. A classic match last week. Braun shoulder blocks Balor over the barricade into the crowd, carries him on his shoulders, uh, but is shoved into the corner post. Balor then fights back, drop kicks him to the floor. Owens gets on the mic again, mocking Balor, and says how he needs to stay on him, and once again repeats the, the tagline that I predict will never take off with Finn Balor, the extraordinary man that does extraordinary things. Mm. Maybe with the letter X to start both of those X's. Oh, God, yes. Let's just uh, go right back to the 90s. Uh, it sounds like unimpressive too, like the extraordinary man that does extraordinary things. Does that just mean he's really basic, more basic than most. He does extraordinary things. He's very plain, but he does it a lot. Right. Yeah, I don't know if I would ever think that that deeply about uh, a very obviously, mm, I I don't know, uh, marketing brainstorm type of buzz buzz phrase. You know, it's a great, they should call him uh, the demon. Why? Oh. Uh, that's his alter yes. ego. Yes. That sounds way better. That well, works a he's lot. not the demon, though. Well, maybe he can transform into, maybe he's going to be a Marvel character, the extraordinary man. Would you buy a comic of the extraordinary man, way that does extraordinary things? Uh... Are they mutants? No, he's ordinary. Well, extraordinary. He's just okay. a guy. Issue one, he goes to buy milk at the grocery store. And in extraordinary fashion, he has exact change for his milk. Yeah, uh, actually, that sounds awesome. I would definitely buy that. Yeah, sure. 
Balor makes his big comeback, double foot stomp to the back of Braun, hits the coup de gras, climbs up again, but Owens runs down and attacks Balor for the DQ. Strowman fights off Owens, grabs a ladder in the ring, and throws it onto the ramp, just missing Owens, who flees to the back, and Cole notes he is hashtag monster in the bank. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was certainly not the match that these two had last week, but I I mean, I don't think it was designed to be, this was just an opening segment designed to really get, kind of get Kevin Owens over as the heel in this whole thing. So I thought they were successful in doing that with Owens ruining Finn's comeback uh, and ruining the match. So ew, according to their aims, I thought it went well. After the break, Owens had his luggage and he's searching for his valet parking and he doesn't have his ticket. And Angle walks up and asks where he's going and he says he's off to a parade and to see fireworks. And Kurt goes, you're Canadian. And <laughs> Kevin's response was, what? <laughs> I thought Kevin Owens was really funny on this show. Um, yeah, he was great. Angle says that Rude didn't appreciate his comments and tells him to go get dressed. And it's like, get dressed. Like, this is what this guy wears 24-7. This t-shirt that the sleeves are cut off and his shorts. Yeah, it really doesn't take too much time for him to get dressed. So uh, he just yells as he uh, walks off. Sasha Banks had a selfie promo. She can rewrite history with the money in the bank. She says it takes guts, skill, and luck to win tonight's gauntlet, and she doesn't need luck because she's the boss. Elias is in the ring, and he asks them to to keep up, even though they're in the South, and he's running down Richmond as being particularly disgusting, which this audience did not care for. They were very upset by this characterization as being disgusting. And he said that he doesn't want to see any of these people, so he asked for the spotlight to be... uh, it, it, they shrunk the spotlight on him so there would be no light to show the front row. Brilliant. I thought this was very fun. Like, Elias is really great in these segments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, yeah, he asks Lance to bring the vocals up so we can hear less of the audience and demands silence, threatens to sit there all night, and then they just go to the matchup board and cut to break as Elias is just still complaining in the ring. Uh, we had a SmackDown ad uh, plugging tomorrow night, Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan, and we are also going to get Ty Dillinger against Shinsuke Nakamura. Come back from break. Elias is still in the ring, and then he's interrupted by Seth Rollins in this new red and black outfit. And he tosses the stool to the floor and tells Elias to leave, and Elias does without a fuss. So you knew this was not going to be the end of Elias tonight, but I thought a great segment from Elias. I thought he was great here. Uh, just great pacing with his delivery. He had a job, and his job was to come out and really annoy this crowd in order to set up Seth Rollins' babyface interruption, and he did it. Um, I think he's really exhibiting like like an ability that not many people in this company have of, of being able to control a crowd and manipulate a crowd the way he does. So he really kind of deserves that praise. And you got the ultimate Elias payoff. No match at the end of this segment. I was like, yeah. this is great. This is what mm-hmm. this guy should do every week on TV. He kind of does. Yeah. I mean, they. I think they understand what the limitations are. This guy's way more effective not wrestling, which has its uh, ceiling for growth. But um, yeah, he's a great character. 
Seth Rollins, Jinder Mahal for the Intercontinental title. Sunil introduced Mahal. Uh, Rollins clotheslines him to the floor, hit a suicide dive, blockbuster, and then Mahal catches him, and throughout the match, he's working over his midsection. He hit a gut buster with the, uh, his, his knees. Rollins came back, Falcon Arrow. Audience is very hot here during his comeback. He calls for the stomp, but Sunil gets involved and is ejected by the referee, and this allows Jinder to hit Rollins in the midsection with a chair getting a near fall. Sunil returns, gets tossed into the ring. He then placed Jinder in the corner and buckle-bombed Sunil into Jinder in the corner. Now, is that legal? Uh, how, is that, how is that different from throwing an object at somebody? Uh, well, I guess Sunil had been ejected, so he came back to his what, own, his own cha- demise. A chair, a chair can be ejected. Like, well, you can't eject the chair, but I mean, it just makes, it, it's like, th- like, is throwing a person at somebody different than throwing an inanimate object at somebody? Uh, I, I guess, I guess the chair is of more consequence. Why? I don't know. Maybe they, they don't value Sunil as any kind of a, of a weapon. Okay. Interesting. I'm trying to get into this logic. I, I agree with you. I'm asking all the questions on this show, John. Yeah, I know. Every question I have. You're forcing everybody to think. Uh, Sunil returns. Uh, no, he doesn't. He's dead. Uh, Rollins takes the chair from the floor, and he attacks Jinder for our second consecutive disqualification. And mm. he continues to attack Jinder, which Cole calls uh, an emotional attack. An emotional attack way. Have you ever been attacked emotionally? Uh, You mean... Or have I attacked anybody emotionally before? Sure. No. Uh, maybe maybe as a child, but this, no. I'm not an expert, but this to me seemed like a pretty clear-cut physical attack. Well, uh, sparked by emotion. Fueled by emotion. Executed yeah. with physicality. Eh, with, executed with, a, with emotion a metal, as well. Metal chair. Well, there was emotion there too. Oh, well, if you ever hit me with a chair... I'm not going to be yelling, ah, my emotions. Well, we don't know if Jinder's emotions were hurt. I'm sure his feelings were somewhat hurt. We, did, sure not, Sa- we did not hear from him after this match. I'm sure Sunil's feelings were hurt. He just became an object that, that somebody threw at. And not even an object that carried enough weight to cause a disqualification. Like, he's nothing. That's, he's that's nothing. The, that is the worst insult. Anyway, um, I, I don't, you know, I like the match, actually. I thought it was one of the better Jinder Mahal matches that I can recall um, some yeah, really but great... I'm not. I'm not crazy enough to to heap praise upon Jinder. I think he's he was in the ring with the hottest guy on the show, and yeah. it helped. I agree. I thought it was a fine match. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it's not like yeah. Okay. Anyway, I've said enough controversial things. <laughs> than than the, the need to back up Jinder Mahal, but uh, I I thought um, I didn't understand the finish really because I I I thought this crowd really wanted Seth to win, and. I just didn't really get enough of a sense that Seth's emotions were really being uh, prodded at that much. Like this felt no different than your typical, you know, uh, heel running interference type of match. And uh, not at least enough for me to see the hero decide to cheat his way uh, or I guess get DQ'd, you know, from using a weapon. And like, I don't think it helped things that the announcers even suggested. "Mm, Maybe Seth wanted to keep his title because he was in danger. That all of that I didn't really get because I thought it just kind of killed this crowd. Yeah, that's a bad line to use for Seth. That shouldn't have been 
to me the the aim of the story. I I understand not wanting to beat Jinder when he's got this big match at Money in the Bank, which uh, by the way, uh, the local advertising by the Richmond Coliseum did not include Roman Reigns at all. So I don't know what uh, I just think he was given this week off. I don't think there was anything more to it than that. But there was no Roman Reigns on this show. But then you have Ginger cheat. You have Sunil come in and actually cause a DQ. Like, why have the babyface ruin the match himself? Well, he, it was emotional, way. Eh? I mean, I, I think a hero shouldn't get emotional. Or at least a hero should be able to control his emotions. Well, their thinking was that he was the victim of this chair attack last week. So he snapped and he got his revenge. Yeah. I, I'm not going to get too upset about them trying to book a babyface to have... Uh, too much, um, too much steam. To ha- I- I'm tired of so many of these baby faces that don't ever get anything. Uh, so, yeah, I thought this was fine. Uh, I wasn't after- a fan. Uh, afterwards, Seth is celebrating. He gets onto the Raw announce desk, and then out comes Elias with a guitar. S- nails Seth with this guitar, and he flips off the announcer's desk off the stage and then they just went to a commercial break and I thought this was a great hook to go to the break on you Mm -hmm. thought this guy was dead I thought this was like a well-placed commercial break and if you're watching live you were genuinely intrigued to get through this commercial and see what what happened here it was a very good cliffhanger and I thought they captured it really well in a wide shot just the distance that Seth fell from um, they came back with like this close up in slow mo, and I wasn't as big of a fan as that uh, of that one because you can kind of <laughs> it looked a little ridiculous with Seth kind of very clearly looking like he was jumping. Rollins is on a stretcher; they're putting a neck brace on him. Uh, this was so significant that Jamie Noble was out, which I was waiting for Seth to say, "Hey, security, where the hell were you?" J and J. Yes. Uh, Adam Pierce was out there. Who, and- um. Uh, um, uh, uh, what was the other guy's name? Um, the other J. Joey Mercury. Joey Mercury. He's, he is a part of the Smash tournament. He is there. He is at the Northern tournament on Sunday. Yes. Adam Pierce continually told him to take it easy. Uh, Rollins did not. He sat up. There was a group of people that is this man is teasing death, sits up, and they start singing happy birthday at Seth on his 32nd birthday. Amazing. Amazing. I laughed out loud. Clearly, they were not very concerned about this man's health. No. He stands up, and he's helped to the back, but he goes out on his feet and not on his stretcher. So, looks, I would imagine, Seth and Elias for Money in the Bank, which I think you're going to have a super heated crowd, and you're putting Elias with the best person possible. Absolutely. I think if if the goal here is to maybe give Elias a, you know, no pun intended, a bigger stage... Uh, and, and to try to make him a bigger star, um, having him wrestle Seth Rollins is probably your best guarantee that he will have a good wrestling in-ring performance. Uh, I, I, I don't mind the matchup at all. I think Elias, at least, you know, as a character, is very hot. And Seth is just on fire. I mean, will Seth lose? I, I really kind of doubt that. I think Seth is just, like, doing so well right now. Um, you don't really want to kill that, quote-unquote, momentum. Um. You know, the Gurney thing, I don't think many people bought, uh, as you could tell from the people singing happy birthday to him. Um, no, but, Richmond's just callous. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, you know, and, and the booking of the of the finish of that match aside, 
you know, it's certainly not enough to derail Seth Rollins, but I wasn't necessarily a fan of of the much of the stuff on this show for him. Okay, I have a I have a question, a two part question for you. If CM Punk loses on June the 9th, Money in the Bank is there in Chicago. Eight days later, is there a CM Punk joke made on on the show? How how will he lose? Let's say he loses badly in the first round to Mike Jackson. The next week, uh, the pay-per-view. Mm. Well, considering there's a lawsuit going on, I think it would be, you know, I don't think they pulled there, there was a lawsuit pending the last time they made a crack, Adam. But, I mean, it's actually in tr- going to, tr- will be in trial. You're right. Um, so, I would I, hope I, that I, they I don't would. quite understand how this is happening yeah. when Punk is fighting literally in two, two and a half weeks. Right. I mean, I think it, it would be smart of them to, to not talk about it at all. One and uh, a half weeks. Crazy. Yeah. So, but, um, but now, if, what if he wins? You think the crowd will bring him up? I think regardless, there will be at some point a CM Punk chant on that yes. show. I think that's a guarantee. I think that Roman Reigns and Jinder Mahal should be prepared for that. I would say, I would say if Raw was in Chicago as opposed to the pay-per-view... That Stephanie would be so ready with a line if she got that because that's what she did the last time. Uh, Raw was in Chicago and she did a promo and just made a crack at Punk. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I would be sure she would be ready with one, but I don't imagine her having a speaking role at Money in the Bank. But I think it, always possible. We'll see how uh, how petty they can be. Nia Jax comes out and as she's walking down, her music stops, and in, in its place is Ronda Rousey's music. And she comes out, and Jax is visibly annoyed. And this was her heel turn. Uh, this this music. The DJ turned Nia officially heel. Does she have different music? No, I'm just saying that her music being stopped for Ronda's to play, um, it was the, the switch in tracks that led to the heel turn. Mm, I mean, she kind of turned... During the 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 terrible uh, upfront angle, kind of that was done. Remember that that was all the mutual respect that they're clearly not going with now, right? Yeah, like that I segment mean, was very much done with the idea of at least on that day at the upfronts mm, that we're, it's going to be two baby faces. But uh, Minai's been been kind of playing you know more of a cocky character ever since then. And, uh, you know, it was sort of the, uh, I guess you're right. Cause like even the contract signing last week, she wasn't necessarily all that heelish. She it was Stephanie was the manipulator. Yeah. It was after the manipulation. So, uh, I mean, maybe you can point, point to that as the moment, but who cares? Uh, so Rousey joins commentary where, I don't know if you're aware of this was the official, uh, first time that we got Ronda Rousey. Seated, seated next to Jonathan Coachman, the man who predicted after she lost to Amanda Nunez, Vince McMahon will never bring this woman to WWE. Never. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I wonder if she even knows that or cares. Uh, I wonder how Coach felt. Maybe, I'm sure they must have talked in the back. And everything. Well, it seems like Ronda Rousey has quite a memory of those that have said anything <laughs> negative of her. So I would guess that uh, a prominent broadcaster on ESPN probably made it onto her radar. Naya gets on the microphone, and she's glad Rousey has come out to see what she can do 
to her at Money in the Bank, and she has an opponent in the ring, Michelle Webb, who I think they called a judo champion. Apparently, I don't know this uh, this this wrestler. I don't know what level of judo uh, she was here, but uh, well, her armbar looked good. Well, Naya says she's going to have her opponent demonstrate that thing you do. Uh, what's it called? The armbar. And the woman applies it to Naya, and Rhonda just casually says she doesn't even know the name of the hold. I bet she doesn't know the defense, which is a nice little uh, line. Naya yeah. steps up and slams out of the armbar, and Jack says the armbar doesn't mean much to her and doesn't even think Rhonda can apply it to her. Then she blocks a punch from this uh, judo champion and hits her with a Samoan drop and says she could win just like that, but she's not done and hits her with a leg drop and adds, I could literally crush a woman's chest with my leg and with this and hit her with a rolling senton. And she challenges Rousey to come to the ring and the crowd starts chanting for Rhonda and Nia cuts them off saying, she knows her name. You can shut up now. Oh, I'm and sorry. I'm sorry. But that's okay. Uh, I, I sorry. I was just looking up um, the identity of the uh, of Michelle Webb, and her uh, actual wrestling name is Maddie Max. Maddie Max. Okay. Yes. Uh, Jax then mocks Rhonda's intimidating look um, and says, "I'm not intimidated by it." And she finds it humorous, and she laughs, calls her cute, turns her back, and walks. Humorous. Out. Humorous. John, did you appreciate that? Uh, humorous. An arm pun. Oh, that is pretty good. Yep, that's not bad. Uh, do you think it was an intended pun or yes. something that she just stumbled well, upon? Well, she did her fake laugh afterwards. <laughs> I think she intended it for to be a a big pun, but I just, I mean, I don't know how many people. I don't know. know the their... f- the fake laugh is something I think every WWE performer has to have down pat. So I can never tell what a sarcastic laugh would even sound like. Imagine Michael Cole just having a sarcastic laugh as opposed to that. That painful one we heard during the barbecue. And she just walks away. And I was so glad they didn't touch. I was so, I just didn't want to see them uh, interact here. Um, I know some people are really harsh on on Naya as a promo, but I, I thought the segment was really good. I liked she it. She was fantastic here. I yeah. think you could be harsh on her for, you know, the upfronts. Like, that was just bad. That was awful. Uh, last week, I wouldn't say she was that great either. But this week, I thought she was excellent. I thought she showed great confidence and and completely commanded this segment on her own, doing all the talking. Uh, Rhonda, as usual, I thought you know her reactions were great. Like all the cutaways that that they cut to, uh, to her on the broadcast table, her reactions were perfect. Like she's got the look of like I'm amused, but I'm unimpressed. And uh, yeah, I thought this was like I love the fact that they are building this feud around a single wrestling move yes and that and the idea that the baby face can't apply her finisher to the heel it is so old school but i think so effective and i mean i'm really glad they're keeping this feud simple because i think that it's so easy really it should be so easy to book ronda rousey especially against against a giant and and i'm really glad that they're going ahead with something like this you know what i bet i bet ronda under an alias has signed up at postwrestlingcafe.com and she was uh going to the gym over the weekend, listening to our review of Global Wars. She said, you know what? This was a great build they had for Roderick Strong and Cedric Alexander about who could hit their finish. This is a great idea. I'm texting. I'm going to text Paul and Vince right now. I think this is great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. No, but I I love the idea that so many feuds we get, it's 
the actual match, there's you have to develop the story once the bell rings. Mm-hmm. And this, you're getting ahead of it by the story has already begun. You know what yeah. the match story is now, so you have a sense of anticipation instead of, well, five minutes in, okay, she's trying to get the armbar and can't get it because of the size. They're and making that, that the story, and it's great. Yeah. And that match will be so much more exciting as a result. I mean, it's just keeping the idea in mind that the match is a part of the story rather than like, I think so many storylines that we've seen where the two feel very disjointed. You know, the, the, the goal of the storyline isn't just to make two people hate each other. I think it's to get you to want to see the wrestling. Um, and you know, let's, let's see how they do for the rest of the few weeks for this one. Dana Brooke was in front of a whiteboard with all of the equations, with the various ways in which she can win this gauntlet match. Um, I, do not see that equation adding up for Dana Brooke. And she, 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 is, the, she is the statistical sorceress. Sorry. Oh, I just wanted to, sorry, I thought you were uh, finished with it. Because, man, like, she just had, like, she was in front of a board that had just some, like, I don't, I don't know if it was, like, trigonometry or something up there. Like, nothing <laughs> to do with the content of her promo at all. Like, I don't know if she went to some college or high school and stopped uh, some math class in order to cut this selfie promo. Uh, or if they had somebody copy some math formulas off of like the internet. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't that clever. Like I feel like if a Scott Steiner got a hold of this promo, she, he, Scott Steiner should really coach her on how to do this math gimmick. Cause he's got it down, you know, like you actually make the stupid math relate to what your the match you know unfortunately and, she is not scott steiner yeah 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 no scott steiner definitely has a gift this segment could be placed into any episode of glow seamlessly i feel like they put even more effort i i kind of feel bad for her because this is just i think it's a terrible gimmick like how do you make this work really unless you're scott steiner matt hardy and bray wyatt took on the ascension Coachman says the theme of the second hour is unexpected because Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy together do things that are unexpected. And Bobby Roode's going to face Kevin Owens. And that was unexpected tonight. (laughs) He's trying really hard. A themed second hour. Yeah. Unexpected. He's trying really hard to contribute something to this announce desk. I wish Coachman would unexpectedly give up his seat in favor of anybody. Uh, They double-teamed Victor. Then they got the advantage briefly on Matt until Bray is tagged in. Um, Let's just go to the end. There was the kiss of deletion to Victor, and they won in four minutes and 46 seconds. Probably three minutes too too long. Uh, It felt felt way longer than that for me. I mean, no heat for this one at all. Obviously, nobody cares about the Ascension. No one cares about any, with the exception, I would say, of Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler. There is not a tag team you could possibly care about on this show. And there's so many of them, and we're going to see them all showcased. Like, it's it's all, like, just the the comedy section is all reserved for the tag division at the moment. I mean, it doesn't necessarily include Bray and Matt, but... You know, it kind of might as well because they really haven't been doing anything like they've been winning, I guess, uh, squash matches or somewhat squash matches. But we haven't seen any of the, the fun character development nor nor any of the skits that I thought we were going to get. 
Uh, no storyline even for the two of them. They're just coming out week after week and just doing their entrance. Delete, delete, delete. Uh, double team finisher, and that's it. And I think it's wearing pretty thin, and you can judge by from the crowd reaction tonight. Uh, it was a very cold match. Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas are with Kurt backstage, and they make fun of Bray and Matt's lack of a celebration. And they want a title match. They're undefeated at 2-0, but Angle notes they cannot get a title shot after beating the same team twice. Dallas suggests that they get the blessing of the tag division, and they're going to provide them with something to win them over. The B-Team Memorial Day Tag Team Barbecue. Which, call me close-minded, but after last week's segment with Sami Zayn and Bobby Lashley, I 1,000% knew that this was going to be fucking horrendous. Mm. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't think they could uh, turn it around? You see, the problem, the problem with last week's segment is that everybody was, well, we got a slam dunk, a slam dunk pick for worst segment of the year. And here's the WWE said, yeah, hold my beer. And thus, we got this barbecue coming up. Um, oh, we got my favorite selfie promo of all time. <laughs> the Riot Squad are in the locker room. And Ruby is cutting this menacing promo to her phone while Sarah Logan and Liv Morgan are just tearing up all the gear of all these other wrestlers in the locker room. This is straight up vandalism that we're watching on camera. And they're going for they're going to start a mutiny. And this was a, for a selfie promo, this was a pretty expensive one. You know, they probably both broke at least like $100 worth of merchandise. Like just they broke Sasha Banks glasses and I know those things aren't cheap. So uh, this was, you know, for this this price, they might have been able to actually upgrade their cameras. They better be. Cameras. They better be thanking the the current uh, locker room is so relaxed because when Mister Perfect uh, tore up some of a uh, Dynamite Kids gear back in the back in the late eighties and then blamed it on uh, blamed it on the Rougeos, and then we got. The, the big dust up between Tom Billington and Jacques Rougeau. I mean, there was that ended with like brass knucks to Jacques' face by Tom Billington. So that just mm. just for destroying people's gear. Yeah. That's not something people took lightly back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this is a this riot squad gimmick is uh I I think it's you know like they, they wanted to put the three of them together, sure. But the riot deal, I don't buy at all. Not for these three. Like, they do not look rebellious. Uh, they do not look like uh, rioting types at all. Like, they're rioting. This was their riot, I guess. Like, tearing up <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> and no! Then writing li- with lipstick on the walls. Um, I mean, this is really, as far as I think they'll, they'll probably take it. Yeah, they, they there is a lot of a uh, transfer uh, uh, between this and Glow. It's just we the right Glow would Glow would have done a way better job. Okay, if you were if they were given a a, a riding gimmick or like a Sarah Logan alligator gimmick, they would have done a way more entertaining job than I think what we've seen. Maybe Bray will join this group. Um. Okay. Wait for it. Yes. Do, do you know the name? Yeah, the Wyatt Squad, yes. 
All right. Yeah. Let's move on. I feel like I've heard that one. I probably have used it. I'm trying to keep myself uh, engaged. Bobby Roode and Kevin Owens, they had a match. Uh, Owens threw Roode into the barricade, hit him with a cannonball. Uh, they went through a commercial. Roode then landed a flying clothesline off the top, called for the DDT. Owens tried to leave. Roode stopped him on the ramp, brought him back in. Papa Powerbomb is avoided, and then Owens counters a sunset flip by holding down Roode's legs for the win. You know, this was a third hour. I, I personally felt very tired for this one, and uh, I, as a result, maybe kind of tough to care. But I also feel like it largely it, this was because I think Bobby Roode is dead as a baby face. And, you know, after the entrance, it's hard to care about the guy. And now that they're jobbing him out so much, I mean, I have to imagine, you know, some type of turn is imminent. Maybe we even saw it at the end of, of tonight, uh, of this segment. I, I'm curious to know what you think. Well, uh, first of all, Kevin Owens getting this win, I was somewhat surprised by because Kevin Owens basically never wins anymore. So I thought, well, okay, well, at least you give Kevin Owens a win. Is Bobby Roode in the match? Money in the bank? Yeah, he is. They're both in it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, great candidate there. So Kevin Owens gets this win. Braun comes out, and Owens is all, all scared. He chases uh, Owens around the ring. Bobby blocks him, and then Braun sends him into the ring for the shoulder block. Power slams Owens as Rude is just posing and cheering. Then he hits him with another power slam. At this point, the win has been negated. Uh, Bobby is just standing tall, taking the credit, and then Braun grabs him by the throat, choke slams Rude, uh, and hits him with a power slam. Oh, yeah, this was certainly not a match where either Owens or Rude were necessarily here to look good. Like, this was not meant to build any of them. (laughs) Yeah, they they did a wonderful job here of of this. It was just a time-fill match. But did you feel like this was something for Rude? Like, he's now almost, like, intentionally annoying, like, doing the celebrating behind Braun. He's certainly not trying to appear heroic or, or like, even, eh, even just, like, a completely good guy. Yeah, that, um, that's how I took it. But I just hate these. Ter- like, that was essentially your turn. Like, there's no, I, I, whatever. We, get, we can wait and see if they do. But it's just, it just seems that, okay, this guy's not working. Boom, he's a heel. Yeah. There's, there's, no, like, there's no story. There's no motivation for it. And that's where I get annoyed when it's, well, they got to produce so much TV. It's hard to do all these stories. It's like, to do a basic turn, like, this is, this is a show that you're producing. At least give me a turn here. Like, Absolutely. What, what, what happened to Nia Jax in the last week? Can I just get like a WWE.com exclusive? Like she tripped over uh, a fucking uh, Ronda Rousey's gym bag or something. I can excuse that one a bit more because, I mean, you can assume that from Steph's manipulation, she now actually hates Ronda, you know, because she thinks Ronda thinks that she can armbar her. Cool. Just tell me that. They, they would tell you to assume, I guess. Well, I guess we should assume that Bobby Roode is now, um, he's turned. I mean, if he if he is a heel, he's certainly not being treated like a very strong one off the bat. So, yeah. Sami Zayn comes out to start the third hour. Did we get a theme for the third hour? Long. No. That's the usual theme. Uh, what? Long. Oh, yeah. Did you know Maurice was a black belt in martial arts? Maurice? The Mrs. Yeah. Wife? Yeah. I don't believe that. They stated that in the Did You Know? Oh, Super did Star- they? Superstar facts. Well, yes. I did not know that, and I'm somewhat surprised by that. 
Uh, I don't exactly know which martial arts. They simply said black belt in martial arts, but in some of my very all light of them, research, all of them. <laughs> in some of my light research, I think it it could possibly be Kyokushin karate. Okay, I don't know. I don't know why they wouldn't just say that. But um, a black belt in martial arts. Even maybe though we've maybe her and George have trained in Quebec before. Sure, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it in her matches. I guess. By the way, if you listen to uh, George St. Pierre on on Joe Rogan's show last week, no. The man is, he's like very funny. He's a very. Was he talking about dinosaurs or like. Oh, dude, he talks aliens? about all of it. He's into aliens, uh, dinosaurs. He's like, those are the three things I love. Fighting, women, and dinosaurs. You know, if he wasn't so good at fighting, he would just be a nut that nobody would take seriously. No, he wouldn't at all. He's like. But because he's so, he's a good-looking, you know, in, incredible fighter. Uh, we somehow give give him some this crazy man all this attention. So for for years now, I mean, Nick and Nate Diaz, they've always believed that the the commission in Montreal allowed George to fight Nick uh, at UFC 158. He had really missed weight, and they they ended up letting it slide. And so it comes up, and George is like, Joe. I want to uh I want to confess that uh it is true. I first I poison Nick. The <laughs> the poison does not take, so I'm very concerned, so I pay off the commission. Then I get I get superpowers and he just he does he does it completely straight to the point that I thought Rogan was gonna maybe take it seriously. Uh oh. I do love like when George attempts the sarcasm. Because it is like, it doesn't necessarily hit 100%, but the attempt is just so much fun Like to see this this otherwise pretty serious man try to do. Final MMA thing. I, I specifically noted this to, to tell you about. These are all the MMA news items I actually want to hear. Oh, so, well, this, this is the you. best one. It's, it's even better than the George one. So Friday was Bellator 200. And I don't know if you've ever seen Michael Venom Page fight, but... His style is just incredible to watch. It's like Anderson Silva times 10. Like he just is, it's like a side stance. He's like just constantly mocking his opponent in between rounds. He just starts like dancing in the middle of the ring. So in the second round, he's fighting Dave Rickles and he blasts his eye open. It's just gross. And, David Rickles is just like, I'm done. I'm done. He just finishes the fight from his eye that just looks like it's been pulled out. Uh, so Michael Page is the winner. To celebrate, he gets the glove of Thanos and puts it on. This gigantic glove. It's a gauntlet, John. Oh, whatever. The gauntlet. <laughs> Fuck off. And then who's there in the crowd? Chris Pratt. And he gets a photo with Chris Pratt. No way. Wow. He's, he's wearing the gauntlet. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, man. Wow. It's great. And it, it would have been your MMA fight of the year if you watched did, this. Did he try to snap his fingers and did Chris Pratt? Just no, he, he stayed together, uh, thankfully. But I guess that's a bit of a spoiler, though. Chris Pratt looked fine here. This was, a, anyway. <laughs> was it? Uh, did he? Did he not? Uh, he he. No, I, I don't even want to talk about. Oh, it. I don't give a shit now. It's been out for like a month. If you haven't got around to it, guess what? It's not yeah. infinity spoiler proof. Mm-hmm. So Sami Zayn is out. He was asked to issue a formal apology for last week's segment, and he brings out a statement, puts on his glasses, 
<laughs> there was a handful of people that started chanting Lashley sucks. So mission accomplished last week. He mentioned the highly rated interview that he conducted last week that some thought was in poor taste. He said the social media reaction was unkind. Some called it brutal and some called it cringeworthy. And some were embarrassed to be a Sami Zayn fan, including a 30-year-old man that was evicted by his parents who DM'd him on Twitter to say how ashamed they were of him. A man from Syracuse, he specifically said. From Syracuse. Is that supposed yeah. to be some inside reference? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, at the end of the segment, though, we had Cole and uh, Graves kind of joke about, uh, and Graves suggested that his, this, this 30-year-old Syracuse man's name might have been Michael Rotundo. Oh, whatever that means. Well, Mike Rotundo went to uh, Syracuse University. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, haha. Uh, Zane says he lied last week. It wasn't really Bobby's sisters. They were men that I hired to have fun. And he apologizes to the WWE, to Lashley's family and the fans, but maintains everything he said was true right after he said he lied. And he said all the stories were rooted in reality. As an artist... I don't expect you to get it, which was a great line. And history will look back on his segment very favorably. Lashley comes out and Jonathan Coachman says he is shocked that someone would be negative on social media. I think anybody that is going to be so uh, thin-skinned should not be on social media. That would be my rule for Jonathan Coachman. Uh, I think that's a great lesson. I think that's a great rule. Uh, it's, it's, it is not for, uh, everybody. Lashley says Memorial day is special for families such as his, as he salutes the men and women who fight for this country, which was very awkward in the middle of this segment. It just felt like a cheap pop, you know, like knowing that this was failing. Well, it had nothing to do with, I mean, okay. I guess, you know, it was, it was fine, but yeah, in the context of this whole thing, like it felt desperate. Lashley said his sisters found him entertaining and challenged Zane to a match at Money in the Bank, shook his hand, and then squeezed his hand. And he is going to face him at Money in the Bank. Yeah. You know, some of the intensity in the end, I think, you know, showed some glimmer of hope for, for these two, but certainly not enough to, to justify the way this feud was built. Like, we kind of see the end result of it. Okay, let's get to this match. How did we make these two hate each other? Well, let's suggest, uh, well, maybe Sammy uh, suffers vertigo off of a vertical suplex, and then we could do an interview with Bobby, and then we can introduce his sisters and his love for his sisters, and we can end it like this. Uh, it was, it has been an abysmal failure. These two better have a seven-star match if they wa- want any hope of, of trying to salvage this thing, because otherwise it's, it's already dead. Yeah. I don't know. It was the announcement of this match on top of Rollins and Elias. And I'm just thinking, man, we got a really long show coming up in June. Yeah, we sure do. Do we have most of the card right now? Oh, yeah, I feel like there's 100 matches that have been announced. But uh, let's take a look at how many matches they have officially announced here. Uh, we've got eight matches listed here already and that's without seth and elias so that will be match number nine but yeah dude we're gonna get even more than that i imagine um holy shit there's only uh, we have a 
let's go through them quickly. Bobby Lashley versus Sami Zayn. Uh, the Bludgeon Brothers taking on Gallows and Anderson. Oh, wow. I, I mean, I forgot that that was even made. Roman Reigns versus Jinder Mahal. Carmella, Carmella versus Asuka. Nia Jax versus Ronda. AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, and the two Money in the Bank matches. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you figure the last man standing and the Money in the Bank, those are all going to get probably considerable time, especially the men's match. I would imagine that's going minimum 30, and probably AJ and Nakamura's going 30 as well. That's not even half the show, John. I know. I know. Yeah. Oh, Reigns and Jinder. I wonder how long that match will be. I feel they have to go 15. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, let us continue. This show continues. This feels like a really long show. Um, Mickey James cuts a promo. She has her eye on the prize, and they note that this is her hometown in Richmond. Mm-hmm. I like the promo from Mickey. I mean, I think it's, you know, we should really kind of, give credit to to people who are able to leave any sort of impression in these selfie promos because they're not only do they look kind of shitty but they're also very short they're not given that much time like i'm gonna say like maybe 30 seconds it feels like for some of these so it's tough to say anything memorable and you know i thought mickey did a pretty good job here next up oh they aired a promo a rare promo for 205 live promoting cedric alexander buddy murphy which is the cruiserweight title match they've been building up all month and then uh, Corey Graves is left to read the promo stating Cedric Alexander defends his cruiserweight champion ship. And Cole laughed hysterically at him. You moron. Drew McIntyre, Chad Gable. Uh, this just happened late in the show. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Uh, well, what are the stakes in this match? Nothing. Right. Drew getting a win. Um it's just unfortunate. Chad like works really hard and, and Drew's very good as well. Um, these two could have a really great match in front of in the right setting. Um, not that this was yeah. bad. It was just the audience didn't care. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, just not enough to maintain interest in the third hour. Right. Like, sorry, are you. Uh, uh, yeah, the there's not a whole lot to this. I mean, Gable was getting beaten down for a while, landed a top rope moonsault and then on the floor, hit a couple kick. Crossbody off the turnbuckle is caught. Run into the post. Claymore, 444. Drew wins. Yeah, Gable, I mean, has pretty much lost, like, I think three, four weeks in a row now. Uh, to G- Gender, to um, Dolph, and to now uh, Drew. So, I think, I don't know what they're doing with him. Uh, it doesn't look like it's much. So, eh, I don't know. His best hope right now might be either a tag team run with a returning Jason Jordan or... 205 live or maybe you know maybe it'll take the audience to like kind of give him the brine push and just start chanting his name but i don't think he's developed that type of relationship with with the with the audience yet the only thing worse than being slotted on 205 live in 2018 is being slotted in the raw tag division in 2018 oh, yeah. so maybe gable should just count his blessings the highlight of this match, by the way, was someone in the crowd that had made a sign that read, Seth Rollins is probably wanted for arson. Is that that good? It burns it down. I know. This is what I look for in the third hour, okay? <laughs> this is the is stuff that... that keeps me awake. It's, ru- was... it's writing shit like this that I pray is going to get like... a smirk out of you. I like the arm pun more than that one. See, I'm not even going to give Nia full points on that. I don't even what? think it was intended. It... It's humorous. Ha, 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 ha. Come on. Okay. Then we had this fucking barbecue segment. 
these these tag teams managed to destroy Memorial Day in ten minutes. We had every every single person that was asked to be in this segment. Look out! Yeah. Look out! Come Friday. Like, do you want to name the people? <laughs> look out! Come Friday. What do you? What's, what's that's that's Friday? the day they release people, and I'd be very. Oh, really? How do you? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying like it, not that that's happening on Friday, but whenever they do releases, they usually do them on a Friday. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So well, I mean, if you if you, if, if you get a, if Stanford's area code comes up on your phone on a Friday, don't answer it. Right. Yes. 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 Uh, but they have far less reason to do that now. Uh, yes, they do. But uh, nonetheless, we had Titus Worldwide, Brizongo, Heath Slater, Rhino, The Ascension. And the revival, and the, the revival was the saddest one that they are lumped I into this. I mean, what can you even say about this fucking thing? Uh, awful, awful alliteration. The Bodato chips was their biggest pun, and then we had the the B team baked beans, B team bratwurst. The comedy of this segment, if you can call it that, was Rhino was seated eating bologna sandwiches throughout all of this. Curtis said that they wanted the shot and totally whiffed on Bray Wyatt's name. So he had to mumble it. Titus then complains about the quality of barbecue that this is. The food is not even seasoned. Slater then defends the barbecue, says that the B team is not going to cut the line to get a title shot. And Axel says that they are then taking their food back. So what happened? Titus dumped the baked beans onto Bo. Then the potato salad was put onto Curtis Axel, and it ends in a food fight. Rhino stayed in the ring, seated as everyone brawled to the floor. They came back. Rhino was put through a table with a double team choke slam. This, I don't know if it was worse than last week. I think it might have been. I don't know if it was worse. Well, for not for me, because I mean, last week had build up, so you, <laughs> and it was set up with like in three weeks starting with that that interview so i would say to me last week felt like a bigger uh more monumental fuck up i mean i don't we don't even know if it was a fuck up like they might have been really happy with it but this i thought this was just i mean it's you will kind of expect it with with you know this crowd but uh that this tag team division i think is in need of a lot of work um it, like Putting all these comedy teams together in one place, I didn't. It didn't even register to me that this was a tag team division. Like I just thought, oh, they got all their jobbers out, all their comedy guys out. You weren't wrong. I realized, yeah, and then I realized, oh, this is the raw tag team division. My God. Um, so it was pretty bad. Uh, I would say this entire third hour was pretty awful. This was terrible. The worst part was that the fact that they were constantly using the B team and saying B, B. And all I could think of was billions of dollars that they are going to make in this contract. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the joke of the B team. They're just going to have these awful segments and it's Vince's fuck you. Fuck you. I think I'm hilarious. Bratwurst. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they could also be setting them up for a WrestleMania match with the Bludgeon brothers. That that is that is long term thinking. No, they they aren't doing that. Um, but I'll say like, oh, do, month, you, do you have uh, anything positive to say? No, well, I, I don't actually. Uh, I think some people might like this B team thing with with Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel. 
I think they're pretty awful. Like, I don't think they're they're funny. I really don't. I much prefer if they gave that position to somebody like a Heath Slater and Rhino, who I think have better comedic senses. These two, uh, I mean, their material is really bad too. So I can't really say it. I thought they were somewhat okay as part of the Mistourage, but these segments to me, ah, they've all they've all been pretty shitty. Next week on the show, they're in Houston. Kevin Owens versus Finn Balor, Bobby Roode versus Braun Strowman, and Nia Jax versus Natalia. Which should be a destruction of Natalia. Yeah. Kurt's on his phone. Terrible posture, by the way. Always hold your phone. Try and hold it eye level. It's better for you. What do you mean? You know how... Oh, oh when, you're, when you're looking at your phone. Yeah, yeah. He had right. it way down there. He's got bad neck anyway. The B team came in complaining. They demand a title match. Next week, we're going to get a tag team battle royal. That means we have four matches announced next week. That might be a raw record. And Kurt says that the winners of the battle royal will get a shot at Bay Bray Wyatt. Is his name that hard? Or are Curtis Axel and Kurt Angle just like these fucking spirit animals that have found one another? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Bay, Bay Wyatt. Curtis Axel's whiff, though, is way better. Like, if you miss this, please go back and watch him just totally fumble his name. Dallas. He's thinking, of, he's thinking about NXT. <laughs> wishing, wishing he was facing uh, Adam Cole instead. Well, I I thought maybe he was thinking of uh, Eli Cottonwood's mustache. Maybe that's what that promo reminded me of. Uh, Dallas shakes Kurt's hand because he's got beans all over it. And then Curtis Axel hugs him and destroys his jacket. Then Michael Cole announces it's time for one of the most exciting matches in WWE. It's time to run the Thanos glove. (laughs) That is right. That is right. Did you just come up with that on the spot? I did. I did. That's 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 how you think at this level. Yeah. I'm just slightly. You learn. Man, you learn so fast. I point out a mistake, and you just go. You look, you 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 exceed you exceed beyond. I think what you're expected. I'm just trying to keep up with you. That's all. Yeah. Bailey comes out first, and Charlie interviewed her to say you're fucked in this match, and she said, "Yeah." And then she ran through all the promos. The best being Dana Brooke. I'm sorry, Dana, but sometimes your numbers just don't add up. It's like God. This is the worst. And then she ended on Sasha stating that you think your name is on the contract, but I don't think so. I think the name on the contract is Bailey. Guess what, Bailey? You're fucking wrong. Wasn't her name. You were completely wrong. 100% wrong. The first match was Bailey and Liv Morgan, which went 12 seconds and still might have been too long. Bailey won with the Bailey to belly. Then Sarah Logan runs in and Immediately, she goes to the Bailey to belly, but Logan avoids it. Uh, Ember Moon is watching backstage, which Michael Cole informs us, remember, Ember has momentum. Then there was a deadlift German countered with a roll-up, and Bailey pinned her in a minute 48, and then Morgan returns with Logan, and they beat down Bailey. And who is the next one out? Ruby Riot. Would you believe this way? The Riot squad almost had to riot on one another. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. God, do you think they strategically plan? Because Liv and Sarah and Ruby, they would have to know ahead of time, right? So did did Liv throw the match? Did Sarah throw her match? Was there some 
ethical violations here in this gauntlet? Um, I would have to say probably not. I don't know about that. Ruby comes out and they go through the break. Michael Cole notes that during the commercial break, after Bailey had been beaten down, she provided an update that she was okay to go to the referee, and that was communicated through an Instagram story. Excuse me? The WWE has discovered stories on Instagram, and if you were on the WWE's Instagram, because God forbid you have a commercial break to go do anything but watch Raw, you can now stay connected through Instagram stories where tonight, you, the follower on Instagram, would have learned that Bailey was okay to continue. Oh, God. Wow. That's just like another thing I have to keep up with. Uh, Bailey has her arms snapped on the top rope. Alexa's watching this. And then Ruby hits her with the riot kick. One, two. I'll give you two guesses, folks. Was it a dramatic kick out by the baby face to mount her big comeback? Or was there a nonchalant three count? And Bailey was eliminated. Let's go with option B. What a nothing elimination. Well, I mean, the character is pretty nothing. So I thought it was apropos. I really wasn't expecting like. Can, much I, of a, can I just like, ask, like, what are we building to with her and Sasha? This has been, really, this has been we're endless. Not, we're not building to anything anymore. Like, if you're watching this, this match. Uh, it's it feels like they they dropped it at least for now. She was I don't the, she was like the big focus at the end of the promo. Oh yeah, I mean, not to, not this week, I guess. There's <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Ruby continued. We then had Ruby and Dana Brooke. I cannot turn away when Dana Brooke is wrestling. Uh, we saw some Shane McMahon uh, tribute in the corner from Dana. Then a handspring back elbow into the corner. Ruby ducked the clothesline, hit the riot kick, pinned her quickly. Mickey James comes out to an enormous reaction. Maybe, I don't know, second or third loudest of the show. I would say so, yeah. Like she was just beneath like Braun and Seth to me on this show with a reaction. Mm. And then the best line Corey Graves has ever uttered. We're about to find out if home advantage rings true. Here in the WWE. Yes, Corey. The age-old question is going to be answered. Uh, Mickey hits a baseball slide dropkick. They go through the commercial. James hits a Thez press off the top, which anything involving legs connecting now is just the meteora to Michael Cole. Yeah. James... He lo- he, like It's like he, he learned that move like this year, and just he's calling everything... <laughs> Nearly resembling it, the Meteora. Can you imagine if Steve Austin came back and, and did the Thez? Pr- <laughs> the Meteora from Stone Cold. The Meteora from Luthez. <laughs> James avoids the Mick kick. James goes to the DDT. It's countered with a roll-up. Ruby grabs the trunks. Mickey loses. And they, this crowd was just, wow. they were just so upset. They're Come like, on, that's expected. We, we stuck around through that goddamn barbecue, and you couldn't even give <laughs> Mickey like one win before she loses the match. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. She was also a total babyface in this match. Like it was nothing oh, yeah. resembling the hanger on to Alexa. Yeah. Yeah. So completely. They went out of their way to acknowledge this hometown woman and book her as a babyface and just beat her. Well, the problem is, I mean, you're you're not going to put her in the money in the bank. She's only getting this reaction tonight. So what's the best you can do? You don't have the heel. She she could have been 
I guess it, I guess you wanted to make Ruby a big focus here, but I just feel this could have been done. Like, why couldn't Mickey beat Bailey? Why couldn't Mickey beat Dana Brooke? I guess I, they wanted to build up the the Ruby advantage. I guess with the Riot Squad. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, did they? Their focus was not to make this crowd go home happy. Like their focus is to tell their bigger story, you know, for better or worse. Well, they did do that. Um, Ruby and Sasha was the final match. Uh, Sasha missed with her running knees into the corner. Riot elbows her way out of the running knees. Excuse me. That's what I'm calling it. Way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Riot elbows her way out from the bank statement attempt. Then Riot bounces off the top rope into a DDT for a two count. They fought on the turnbuckle. We got the cheeky Nando's knee delivered to Ruby Riot, and uh, then Sasha powerbombed her. It, it, it doesn't, I mean, it still works, actually, as a knee, but not as good as a super kick. I'd be so nervous taking that. Yeah. Just timing that knee. Uh, Sasha goes for the bank statement. Liv, Morgan, and Logan return to stop it, and then this allows Ruby to get a roll-up for a two-count. She kicks out, back to the bank statement, and Ruby taps out. Sasha wins. Sasha is entering the ladder match. And that was that. That's how Raw ended with Sasha celebrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I not a great gauntlet match. Um, certainly uh, not even in the same conversation as uh, you know, the 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 one for the men uh, that took place for what the elimination chamber. Um, I I I think um it this crowd was sort of deflated after Mickey got out of there, and so Sasha really didn't feel like a star at the end of this because. Um, it's, you know, it, it, this crowd just didn't really care that much about her winning, or at least not as much as they wanted to see Mickey win. So it kind of tells you maybe how little people care about her right now when she's not strong enough to, of a baby face to kind of help this audience forget about their disappointment. To be honest, I, I think that you could have even put Mickey in the Bailey role at the beginning where she gets the quick win over Liv and then ultimately mm-hmm. falls to the riot squad. Like, I, I think you could honestly, if... Like Bailey's going nowhere fast, especially in the next month or so. So putting Bailey in the middle of this, and she just gets upset by uh, by Ruby, and then Ruby goes to the final, and Sasha's there in the finals. I think you could have got around this, and at least you would have given the audience something with Mickey at the beginning. Um, she would have. Been, she was the more over babyface. I just. Well, I don't. I just I don't hate when the- you get these reactions that are very rare for characters that I would be going out of my way to maximize them and not minimize them. It just seems like this is handed to you. Do something with it. Yeah, but what are they going to do next week, though? Well, God forbid that one week, Mickey comes across significant. Right. Doesn't hurt Um, you. Doesn't change the story next week. Maybe that's better saved for, like, the dark match, though. I, I... I just think that stuff gets like just too overthought. Like, there's there are cases where I would completely agree with you, but I, I I didn't necessarily feel that way for this. Like Mickey was not booked as a heel in this. They deviated from her character for this Cause, audience because they knew that she would get cheered. But the point is, she's not a significant part of this Money in the Bank match that they're trying to build. Neither's Bailey though. I, that's I'm not arguing well, she should have won pro- this. But at least Bailey might even have. At least Bailey has a storyline going on. Does she? What's the story? With Sasha, like? evidently. Wait a minute! You just said you thought it was—it's going—it's done. But she, but she still has to be kept strong because she's Bailey. 
Well, no. I, I would disagree she was kept strong at all here, and I don't think they did anything here with Saw. There was no interaction here. I don't even know what you did with them here. She felt, if anything, it was she was beaten down by the Riot Squad. Maybe yeah, but she got two wins. She got two quick wins over two members of the Riot Squad before cheating caused her to lose. All right. It doesn't really matter. Um, that was raw. Um, you know, I actually thought it was like a pretty solid edition of the show um, until the third hour where I think they just completely, um, you know, uh, tailspinned all the way deep into the ground. Um, I thought I, I'd say it peaked at the, the Nia Ronda segment. And yeah. from there on in, like from the Matt Hardy match onwards, um, it's it struggled. Yeah, I thought the Ronda thing actually with Nia came across really well. Um Elias, I thought was fantastic on the show. I even like the Seth gender match. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to watch it, but I think uh, it was, you know, uh, it was it was good. I'll I'll say it was good. And and the Elias uh, Seth stuff I thought was pretty good too. And uh, Strowman Balor, eh, you could skip that. <laughs> that was raw. Uh, it's an <laughs> awesome one hour show. <laughs> Stretched yeah. in the three. Um. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's it. Let us move on to feedback. I don't want to forget feedback this week. Uh, we were, we goofed on that last week. Yes, we did. Apologies. Well, we didn't really have that much time. It was a very packed show last week. So you know what, folks? Yeah. Live, live a little. Uh, so feedback at forum.postwrestling.com for all of our uh, Post Wrestling Cafe members. How did they vote? Do you, do you know the answer? We got a 5.2. A pass tonight. Mm-hmm. Barely. Barely. Barely a pass. We're going to start off with Carl. Elias is my most improved WWE superstar of 2018. Is that a bit of a qualifier? Most improved WWE superstar. He's not saying most improved wrestler. So I don't know mm-hmm. what that entails. Um, he is witty. He is intelligent. Uh, and he is charismatic. I won't deny those traits. It's a real oversight on WWE's part that he hasn't been included for Money in the Bank. There's no question he'd be my winner. I think he has a real shot at having a run on top in the not-so-distant future, but my question is, can he really be taken seriously enough for that spot? I believe he's got everything that Vince is looking for, but what do you think? Uh, I talked about this recently, but I'll repeat it. I agree that I think there will be a time they're going to go all the way and put the title on him. I do not see that being a big success. I see that being closer to a Jinder Mahal uh, level, he's just yeah. not a main event level wrestler. You could argue that yeah. he's not even, you know, uh, upper mid card level wrestler. I don't think he is. He's a tremendous act, but it just ends when the bell rings to start the match. But yeah. I can see them like they're programming him with Seth. Like they program this guy very high, especially on a show that um, is not exactly deep on quality top heels. So him winning the title is completely believable to me. Uh, in the post uh, Brock Lesnar title reigns that are certainly to come over the next year, I think I think the Seth match will be a really good test for him to see how he can do whether or not he could be carried to a great match. Because I think in 2018 that is at the very least you know uh, a prerequisite for somebody at the very top of of a card. Like you can't have a champion. I think we're seeing it right now with Carmella as the women's champion. Like you can't have somebody in that focused prime position who who is a you know kind of kind of a known disappointment uh when it comes to the in-ring 
Uh, not now, you know, not with the, the, the sophisticated taste of this audience. So I think he's got everything going for him except the wrestling. So hopefully, I mean, he's got a lot of time to improve. So I'm hoping he gets better and I'm hoping the Seth match is a good uh, showcase of, of what he can currently do. Uh, he's got everything else down pretty well, but the, the in-ring is such a big part of, of any, you know, main eventer right now. Oh, we go to Brandon from Oshawa. So the men get two hours for their gauntlet match and the women get, what, 20 minutes? No, uh, but the... Nobody is complaining. Yeah, I'm certainly not. I mean, come on, listen. It's Liv Morgan and uh uh I guess I guess the rest aren't really all that bad, but they certainly didn't really show it on uh, Dana, Dana Brooke is yeah. Listen, I, I so anyway, she, he says I wasn't the biggest fan of the length of that men's gauntlet, but we still remember it. And also, who's going to go like who's going to give you the Seth Rollins performance of that bunch? I guess I guess Sasha could do it. I um, I did I do not want I would not have wanted to see that match go yeah. longer. Okay, so he goes on to say, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of that length for the men's gauntlet, but we still remember it for the performance of Seth Rollins and the popularity, and his popularity has skyrocketed since then. The woman couldn't at least get an hour. Did we really need that stupid barbecue segment or a Balor-Strowman rematch one week after the last match? Did we need to see Ronda look like she was on the verge of tears? Honestly, guys, if I didn't love listening to your review so much, I'd want you to drop Raw like you have 205 Live. I watched the August 7th, 2000 edition of Monday Nitro earlier today, and it was a hell of a lot better than this, this boar fest, and that is no exaggeration. That might be bad, but at least it's fun to laugh at, and the show makes sense in its Russo sort of way. See, whenever we have gone back to watch a 2000 episode, that's kind of the mentality I go into that show with, that uh, this is going to be, it's not going to be boring, and it'll probably be fun. And halfway through that show, I'm just perplexed and want wrestling to disappear as a entertainment form so i don't have that watching raw i will say that though the barbecue came close this week yeah perhaps it's like the feeling of being able to look forward to brian mann and nate milton dissect what you're about to to watch that makes it more fun very true another paint by numbers raw it's like they're they are not even trying anymore when you when you think further on it though after signing that massive contract with fox with such a vanilla product, I guess they don't have to make things interesting or make sense. Makes me appreciate New Japan and NXT even more so than before. That said, I fully expected the last two in the gauntlet match to be Bailey Sasha and was surprised when Bailey got knocked out as soon as she did. But once it came down to Sasha being the last entrant, the writing was on the wall. Jesse from Tulsa. Where was Roman Reigns? I can't remember the last time he wasn't on Raw. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining or anything. It was actually a breath of fresh air not seeing him on my TV. Uh, do, do we know? I don't know what the reason was, but he wasn't advertised, um, which, I mean, he is one of the people that is all over um, the local advertising. So he was not listed on the, the Richmond Coliseum wasn't even mentioning him being on the show. So I imagine this was something that he was not expected to be on this show. Right. Uh, He goes on to ask, uh, I know it's still three months away, but based on what you're seeing right now, what can you honestly see as a serious contender for Brock at SummerSlam? The only guys that I see that are over enough are Braun or Seth. I'd be happy with either of those choices. I think there's a really compelling argument to making Seth that guy um, mm-hmm. that faces him at SummerSlam. Um, also, it's it's not a guarantee that Brock is dropping the title at SummerSlam. And if that's the case, um, maybe you don't want to beat Seth at this particular time. Um, but th- those or maybe, are- or maybe you do because he's not dropping the title. And if your ultimate goal is maybe somebody like Braun. Yep. Those fails. Those are two options, and whether people like it or not, Roman will 
be one of those candidates as well. You would you would figure for uh, another match with Brock because it's been left open ended for another match. So, yeah, I'd like to see the Rollins match personally. It'd be a great match. I think it'd be a really good match. Things I didn't fast forward through. Elias, I like his shtick. Rollins, still surprised that Burn It Down chant is working, but he is becoming over enough for the Lesnar match. Sami Zayn, I liked how bad this continues to be. You really kind of have to enjoy it at that level now. Yeah. Strowman, who is Bobby Roode? But seriously. Nia Jax's uncomfortable promo with Rousey. B, BBQ, I do love holiday segments. Can't take this stuff too seriously. Sasha, always a fan. Did I skip over Roman? (laughs) Overall, this was a quick raw to get through for me. Not many segments worth watching. Been that way a lot lately. It's disappointing with the talent they have, but I guess the talent needs to be in the building to help. We go to MJ who says, Finally, Seth Rollins and Jinder Mahal have the long-anticipated rematch from their first-ever NXT championship match. Was this even mentioned? Uh, Didn't they wrestle before? Didn't he beat him? Uh, well, they were on they were on separate shows for the last year. Wait, didn't who who did who Rollins won the title from Miz? Oh, I'm I'm probably thinking something else. Oh, I'm thinking about the U.S. Wow, okay, is this their first rematch since then? Maybe it is. Oh, please uh, fact check us, and if 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 any of us are wrong, uh, he says ever since the point was made that so much of TV exists for video packages later on, I realize the show isn't required viewing. Anything noteworthy will will get played several times later, and there hasn't been a solid storyline cliffhanger in years. What's the last good moment that left intrigue as for next week? Um. Last good moment that left intrigue for the next week. Oh, who's Kurt Angle's son? Yeah. Uh, who attacked Cass? Yeah. Hey, oh, sorry, Enzo. Who attacked Enzo? Yeah. Um, you know, it is something that they they don't do a whole lot of that week to week kind of, you know, going off the air with like, you know, stuff that you can tell the, is the plotted out. Yeah, like, and not even like, you know, big mystery angles, but it's just like week to week things that really leave something with the viewer one week to think about all week that gives you a reason to tune in next week that that makes it like they always tout themselves as, you know, episodic. But a lot of this, it's very self-contained on shows. Like, yes, we have feuds that extend week by week, but it is, you know, certain parts of a story where you get you piece them together after several weeks and you get a payoff at the end. Like that is something that you, you don't get a, a ton of in WWE mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, not total divas though. Last singles match way. June the twenty fourth, two thousand and seven, Seth Rollins defeats Jinder Mahal on the WWE Live SummerSlam Heat Wave Tour. No, how about televised? Uh, last televised match. Then we would have to go back to the Ever? end. Uh, the last singles match they had at a TV on TV would have been uh, the 26th NXT taping in November of 2012 when Seth Rollins was NXT champion and successfully defended it against Jinder Mahal. Oh. Well, there you go. Wonderful. Thank you for that note. Uh, all right, finally, we got a Jay from Colorado. Tonight was the easiest Raw to get through in weeks. Huge improvement over the last month of pure crap. I made good on my promise to do housework while Raw was on, and my God, my <laughs> kitchen has never been so clean. 
If they keep this up, I might just replace the cabinets and put in some wood floors. This show is much easier to watch in the background, and not paying sole attention to it made it a much more enjoyable three hours. I actually caught myself laughing at the B-Team barbecue segment, and I wasn't even high. The gauntlet match was decent as well. A solid 5 out of 10. That was great feedback. I enjoyed it. He is from Colorado. Well, there you go. More power to you. All right, that was a... Well, thank you, everyone, for all your feedback. You can always leave it at forum.postwrestling.com. And we are going to end this portion of the show, but way we are going to have the overrun segment. Join us in the cafe for my weekly rundown of this edition's of... This week's edition of Total Bellas featuring the conversation. The conversation that I think uh, everybody uh, was watching in the trailers and... uh, the breakup. I can't wait. Uh, you can go postwrestlingcafe.com. Way's Total Bella's review will be up, uh, so you can check that out. And we'll we'll chat with you on Tuesday night. Rewind to SmackDown. Uh, we're going to be giving away two pairs of tickets to Smash Wrestling, so you can tune into that uh, Tuesday night for your chance to win. And uh, that is all. Go to postwrestling.com and check out Way's Total Bella's review. It is the highlight of the week. <laughs>